0: Good morning. Turn in your Bibles to Revelation 3 as we continue our study there. At the beginning of our study, we learn keys to understanding the book of Revelation. Do you remember the first key? The first key of uh, understanding Revelation is that Jesus is the theme. The Lord Jesus is the theme of the book. Later, during um, discussing one of the messages, a brother commented that um, Revelation is not just about future events. It's not just about God's judgment, but it is even more about the Lord Jesus and his person discovering, revealing his person, his nature, his... um, his characteristics to us. And so I pray that you'll take that emphasis with you that um, as we go through the book of Revelation, it's all about the Lord Jesus and his character, his his dealings with with people. As we look at these first, um, at the uh, chapters 2 and 3, the... um, the Lord's judgment, if you will, of the churches, um, we heed, must heed Peter's words in 1 Peter 4, 17, the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. The time has come for the, to begin the judgment uh, of the house of God. And, um, and so really that's what the Lord is doing. He's, um, he's judging his churches before he judges the world. It's only proper. We are a people. The Lord's church enjoys special privileges and responsibilities, and so it's right that he start here before judging the world. We have looked in weeks past at the Lord's messages to four of his churches uh, by way of review. Ephesians, the church at, at Ephesus, he, um, the Lord said, Uh, You've left your first love. uh, His prescription, his remedy for that is to return, return to your first love. Don't forget what the Lord has done for us. Remind yourselves. The um, worship meeting is an excellent uh, reminder for us of what the Lord has done. Carry that with you Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. The church at Smyrna was the persecuted church, and... um, Uh, The Lord said, be faithful unto death, and I will give you a crown of life. The church at Pergamos, the worldly church, Jesus counseled them to repent of the immorality and the idolatry of Balaam. And he promised, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat, that special relationship, that um, that special communion, rather, with the Lord he offers, if you will be faithful unto death. I'm sorry, to, to repent of the immorality and idolatry. And then Thyatira uh, is the tolerant church. Jesus re- revealed himself uh, with eyes of fire and feet of polished brass. It speaks of judgment, of his uh, judging the church. And um, Noad uh, emphasize that we, the church, are in need of parental discipline, that we uh, we get off track and we need to be brought back on track. And that brings us this week to Sardis. What do we know historically about Sardis that will help our understanding this morning? Well, uh, Sardis was uh, a town in... Um, Asia Minor, with, the, with these other churches, and the, um, the people of Sardis were idolaters. So you walk into the town of Sardis 2,000 years ago and find that they were worshiping the mother goddess, Cybele. Cybele. Her worship was of the most debasing character. It included orgies at the festivals in her honor. And the, um, the people of Sardis, their early associations, companionships, connections exerted a force, a draw toward heathenism, toward this idolatry. It was expected of the young people and old. It's a wonder that the few believers in the church at Sardis were not drawn away and swallowed up in the great vortex of this um, this idolatry, this worship of Cybele uh, And so the Lord changed his method of address to the church at Sardis. In the previous four, he begins with words of uh, commendation, uh, approval, well done. In the case of the church at Sardis, he begins with words of condemnation, in the other churches, evil had been the exception. In the case of the church of Sardis, it was the rule. It was the, uh, uh, the habit. So with that, let's, um, let's read Revelation 3, verse 1. And to the uh, angel of the church in Sardis write, These things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works, that you have a name that you're alive, but you're dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain, that are ready to die, for I have not not found your works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard, hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. You have a few names, even in Sardis, who have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches." Our outline this morning is um, uh, verses one through three. We'll look at how the judge of the churches rebukes the church in Sardis. Um, verses four and five, how the Lord holds um, before the um, uh, the churchgoers in Sardis the example of those few. There were there was a, a small remnant, and the Lord holds them forth as an example for the. Um, for the um, churchgoers who uh, who are faithless, and then finally we read in verse six uh, the Lord Jesus' call to receptive hearts. So let's um, let's start there at verse one. And the angel uh, and to the angel of the church in Sardis, write. The Lord Jesus is the um, the one who holds the. Um, the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. And uh, the seven spirits of God probably refers to the sevenfold character of the Holy Spirit. And uh, the basis for that, for saying that, is in Isaiah 11.2. Isaiah uh, writes, The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. That's one, the Spirit of the Lord. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding. The Spirit of counsel and might the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. That's Isaiah eleven two. So there's a sevenfold um, ministry, uh, if you will, of the, um, of the Holy Spirit. Who are the seven angels, the seven stars? Well, they are, if we look back at... Um, uh, verse uh, chapter one, verse twenty. We see that the seven stars are the seven are the angels of the seven churches. Angels of the uh, of the churches. That word in the original um, is um, transliteration. It's almost spelled angels in the original. So. It's, um, it's understandable that we would translate it angel in English, but um, the word can also be used of human messengers, this, um, this word angel. And um, we find that in Matthew 11, this is he of whom it is written, behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. Who is that speaking of? No, it's speaking of John the Baptist. This is he, John the Baptist, of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger, my angel, before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Okay, so John the Baptist is this this angel of Matthew uh, 11.10. He's just a human messenger, uh, if I could say just. Angel... In each of these churches is probably a prominent human leader in the meeting. Okay, so the seven angels are uh, seven of these um, leaders in the churches. And the fact that um, the Lord is holding them in his right hand shows that these messengers belong to him. They were authoritative and responsible leaders. The Lord chose them to communicate his message to each church. We find the Lord um, taking the church to task. He says, I know your works, that you have a name that you're alive, but you're dead. The Lord Jesus knows our works. He knows the works of those who were at Sardis. It's um, A helpful verse back in uh, the previous chapter, uh, 223, All the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts, and I will give to each one of you according to your works. I am he who searches the minds and hearts. The Lord Jesus is omniscient. That means that he's all-knowing. He's able to see the things that are invisible to us, like the heart, like the mind, Like our motives. He's able to discern those as clearly as I am able to see you this morning. There is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. The Lord Jesus searches the heart, he he knows our heart through and through, and yet he judges our works. He says, I know your works. What's, what's the reason for that? Well, works are an expression of our heart and mind and motives, and um, perhaps at the time of judgment, he addresses those works because we can't deny them. We um, were able to record so much of the world's activities today uh, and store them uh, for replay, why should we wonder that the Lord is able to record to uh, recall our works? We could argue well lord that wasn 't my intention i didn't i didn 't plan that that wasn 't my motive, but here I am doing it on film, and uh, i can 't deny it. I did it, and so the Lord judges our works perhaps as a um, perhaps for our benefit. You have a name that you're alive. This, um, this word name uh, is gonna be used in three different ways in our study this morning. Here, name means reputation. You have a reputation that you're alive. The assembly at Sardis was respected for its doctrinal purity. The surrounding congregations, perhaps those at Ephesus and Smyrna and Pergamos, praised the Sardis meeting for their vitality. You guys are a a vital assembly. You guys are alive. You guys are, are reaching out, but in name only. Jesus said, You're dead. Not physically, the whole congregation may have been very much active, getting to meetings on time, scheduling events, welcoming visitors, but Jesus says they were dead. Biologists recognize 10 or 20 key characteristics that living organisms share. There's order, sensitivity or response to stimuli, reproduction, adaptation, growth and development, and the list goes on. But um, of interest to us this morning is the attribute of life called responsiveness to the environment. An organism is not alive if it doesn't respond to stimulus. Okay, Somebody, uh, somebody pokes the organism and it, it responds, it moves, or it bites back. And um, in this case, the meeting attendees were not responsive to the Lord. They weren't listening to him. They weren't connected with him. They were faithless. Their meeting was spiritually dead. In Luke 15, the father said to his servants about the prodigal, his prodigal son who returned, he was dead. He was dead. What did he mean? His son was right there in front of him, alive. Well, he meant that his son was unresponsive to him. He wasn't returning the father's love. He wasn't listening to his dad. And so the, um, uh, the father said he was dead. And frankly, the, the son didn't care what his father thought when he was away from his father. Um, and Paul says of the saints in Ephesus... Uh, 30 years earlier, he says, um, you, uh, you saints at Ephesus were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were, uh, you were not responding to the Lord. You, weren't, um, you didn't have that quality of life. The church at Sardis was spiritually inactive and barren. They had a form of godliness, but they denied the power of it. Perhaps the church... Churchgoers had bought into the idolatry, and uh, um, the environment there was certainly not conducive. It wasn't supportive of faith in the Lord Jesus. Thankfully, the Lord prescribed a remedy for their deadness. He said, Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. He says, Be watchful and strengthen. To be watchful is to be vigilant, it's to be alert, it's to be watching. Um, You've allowed moral corruption to seep into your meeting, and it's taking over. Now watch and make sure that it doesn't uh, take over even more. Guard against further corruption of your meeting. To strengthen is to support what life you have among you because even it appears ready to die. There is a handful of saints among you, a handful of faithful, but uh, perhaps not for long. The second indictment of uh, the judge of the churches is um, I have not found your works perfect before God. Perfect uh, often means complete, and it does in this case. I have not found your works complete. There's something missing, something lacking in your works. The Ephesian church lacked love. They lacked devotedness to the Lord. He said, I know your works, your labor, your patience. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. So they, they, needed, they needed to perfect their work. The churches at Pergamos and Thyatira lacked holiness, righteousness, integrity in their works. But the church at Sardis lacked something far more insidious and damning than just a lack of love or lack of righteousness. They lacked a relationship with the Lord Jesus. Your works are imperfect. Reminds us of the um, condemnation Uh, of the false prophets Jesus um, gave in Matthew 7 he said not everyone who says to me Lord, Lord shall enter the kingdom of heaven but he who does the will of my father in heaven many will say to me in that day Lord, Lord have we not prophesied in your name cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name and then I will declare to them I never knew you depart from me you who practice lawlessness. The churchgoers at Sardis had no faith in the Lord. They had no relationship with him. They were merely doing their religious duty. Proverbs 15.8 says that the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord. Perhaps the... the, um, Churchgoers were making large sacrifices. They were, uh, they were doing without um, saving their money for uh, projects, for, for giving overseas. And, um, and yet, uh, this sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord. Thankfully, again, the Lord prescribed a remedy, this time for their faceless works. He says, um, remember, therefore, how you have... You have received and heard. Hold fast and repent. Remembering, as we've already said, is a great cure for so many ills, spiritual ills. We just have to remember who the Lord is and what He's done for us. And um, that solves a lot of problems. Though the churchgoers were spiritually lifeless, they retained their memory. They could remember. The um, The Apostle Paul said something uh, along these lines to the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20. Listen to his, uh, his words. He said, You know from the first day that I came to Asia in what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews, how I kept back nothing that was helpful but proclaimed it to you, and taught you publicly from house to house, testifying to Jews and also to, to Greeks repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus wants to remember, wants us to remember uh, not just what we have received and heard. What was it that Paul preached in Ephesus? He said, uh, I preached repentance toward God and faith. Toward our Lord Jesus Christ, but Jesus says, "I want you to remember how you heard and received." And uh, Paul, um, Paul preached with many tears. It's um, it's Christ-like to preach with many tears. Because God pleads with his creatures to receive him as Lord and Savior. We turn again to one of Paul's letters for insight in 2 Corinthians 5. Paul wrote, We are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. God pleads through his ambassadors. It's not very dignified for the creator of the universe to plead with his creatures. And yet he does. There was uh, an employee at one of our um, Bay Area companies who... Uh, dragged his feet, he procrastinated on the completion of a project to the point where the vice president of the company found out about it. And he sought out the employee and he said, "Um, complete this task for me as a personal favor. And we have the Lord Jesus pleading with his creatures Come to me as a personal favor to your creator, to the Lord of lords and the King of kings. Remember how you have received and heard. The second part of this remedy is to hold fast. We're to guard, to observe, to give heed to the things that we've already heard and um, they, they were to remember and to, uh, to obey, to, um, to do what they had already heard. They didn't need new teaching. They needed to do what they knew already. And then um, they were to repent, and to repent is to turn one's back on former loyalties, associations, and goals, and turn one's face to Jesus. Jesus. Paul reminded the Thessalonians how they had turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. What a dramatic change in, uh, in a life to, to throw away our idols and to trust the Lord alone. The third indictment of the judge of the churches is um, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. If you do not watch, that is, if you do not follow these remedies that I've already given you, it's because you're not being watchful, you're not being alert, you're asleep. To be spiritually dead is to be apart from the Lord and His blessing. To be asleep and dead is to be unconcerned about it, to be complacent in that death. The remedy is simply to wake up. Paul wrote to the Ephesians, he said, Awake, you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. The sleeping churchman is obstinate. He's stubborn. He won't listen to reason or counsel, even from the Lord. The Lord's call is urgent. Wake up. Is there no argument the Lord can give you to change your mind? Charles Wesley wrote Sinners turn, and he meant by turning to repent. Sinners turn, why will you die? God your maker asks you why. God who did not, God who did your being give, made you himself that you might live. He the fatal cause demands, asks the work of his own hands, why you thankless creatures why? Will you cross his love and die? The danger is if you do not wake up to your need, that the Lord will come as a thief, with uh, devastating, irrevocable suddenness, bringing judgment. The sleeper was warned. He knows, um, he knows what to do, but he doesn't take the warning seriously. The sleeper thought that life would continue indefinitely, or at least until he, was, uh, he chose to arouse himself to take action. He said, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. What do I have to worry about? The sleeper didn't know that his insensibility would cost him his life. And so the Lord, the judge, condemns the the sleeping church at Sardis. But in the verses that follow, he offers a positive example to those lost churchgoers for further motivation for their repentance, not enough to to warn, but to offer a positive example. Jesus is not the overbearing taskmaster of Luke 1921. The, um, the servants said the one uh, disobedient servant said of his taskmaster, You're an austere man, you're a hard man, sowing where you don't reap. Instead, the Lord is long suffering toward us not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Jesus is not the senseless, heavy-handed judge who would per- uh, punish severely for a misdemeanor. Instead, as we sang this morning, he loves He loves sinners. We, we sang, What led thy son, O God, to leave thy throne on high, to shed his precious blood, to suffer and to die. It was love unbounded, love to us, led him to die and suffer thus. J. Boyd Nicholson was uh, an evangelist and he he preached in San Leandro years ago. And uh, one phrase I will never forget, he said, Jesus just wants to love you. Jesus just wants to love you. Why, uh, uh, why will you die? Why will you die? There are a few names, um, in this case people. There are a few people in Sardis who have not defiled their garments. There were only a, a few believers among the many faithless. It's the opposite of what we found, uh, found in the other churches. How many of the Lord's kingdom parables could we apply to the churchgoers at Sardis? There was the sower, uh, the mustard seed, leaven. All these speak of uh, corruption in, um, in the Lord's kingdom, those who profess to know him and actually do not. Well, who were these remnant, these few? We read in um, in verse 4, that they have not defiled their garments. Defile is to make muddy or filthy. And as, um, as I walked out one morning on the way uh, before I went to work, uh, it was muddy, and so I was picking my way through the, the backyard to fill the dog's water bowl, and um, I was careful that the dog didn't jump on me until I looked away, and he jumped, and I got two black streaks of mud down shirt and pants. And so uh, my garments were defiled. But in the case of the church at Sardis, their defilement was due to sin and worldliness, and we can think of their garments as being their integrity, their Fidelity, their faithfulness, their service—it was—it was, um, it was uh, muddied, it was soiled by sin, by worldliness. James writes, "Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this: to visit orphans and widows in their trouble, and to keep oneself unspotted from the world." The believers. Um, Of the church in Sardis had their garments unspotted by the world. They did not conform to the prevailing conditions and the pollution of the day. The Lord's promise to them is that they shall walk with me in white. Does it amaze you that the Creator chooses to walk with his creatures? He's infinite, he's all-wise. He's, um, uh, his his creation is uh, is beyond imagination, and uh, does he choose to walk with um, with a creature? We um, we know from Amos 3.3 that two can't walk together unless they're agreed. The Lord desires communion with um, with his redeemed ones. not just in glory, but here in, uh, in Fremont in 2023. It um, may remind you of the uh, two disciples on the road to Emmaus after the Lord's death and, um, and resurrection. Uh, Jesus himself drew near and, uh, and walked with them. He chose to walk with them. These uh, two disciples were, were reasoning about the events of the last few days. And... Um, Uh, the Lord departed. He he revealed who he was to them and then departed. And uh, one of the disciples said to the other, he said, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? What would you give to be able to walk with the Lord Jesus this afternoon and to have him open the scriptures? You've got got those questions you'd like to ask, and uh, he walks with you and opens those scriptures to you. Does that interest you? That's what heaven's about. That's what makes it heaven. Jesus is what makes it heaven for me. The Lord Jesus said, "Um, they shall walk with me in white for they're worthy. Well, worthy means that these believers lived in a manner consistent with his grace in saving them from sin and judgment. Doesn't suggest at all that they earned anything toward their salvation. It means that um, they they walked in a a way that showed God's mercy and and grace. They were overcomers. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments. These these saints at Sardis were overcomers. The odds were against them, the forces uh, around them were. We're not helping them onto God. What was it that they overcame? They overcame the world with its deception and sensuality. How did they overcome? By their faith in Jesus. They turned their backs on the world, on all its claims, on all its... Um, It's um, allurements, and they turn their face toward Jesus. In 1 John 5, we read, Whoever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. These, um, These saints at Sardis were overcomers. The Lord's promise to the overcomers is that they will be clothed in white garments, different from the earthly garments it was a struggle to keep those clean because uh, I walked um, in a world of defilement, and too often um, followed the temptation. Too often, I had the um, the wrong thinking, wrong action. But these garments are different. The heavenly garment that the Lord offers is a uh, garment of honor and glory. It's one that He gives identifying the wearer as an accepted priest of God. The Lord will not blot out the saint's name from the book of life. We, uh, Howard mentioned this um, at, uh, in our worship meeting. The book of life appears seven times in Revelation. What is the book of life that uh, people may be blotted out from? Some are troubled by the thought that a believer's name could be blotted out from the book of life. But we know from Scripture, like uh, John 6, 37, and 10, um, uh, 28, and 29, the Lord's um, not going to cast out anyone who comes to him. Thank him for that, and that uh, we have his protection in in his hand. No one's going to take Uh, his sheep out of his hand. It's simply not possible to do. So what's the book of life? Well, one commentator suggests that the book of life is um, a list of uh, all for whom Christ died. Who's that? Well, that's the whole eight billion people alive today plus the eight or 10 billion people who've lived before today, they're they're all listed in the book of life. But there's a point in time where we are called to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and if that person continually rejects and denies the Lord Jesus, he blots their name out of the book of life. It's a book of physical life. It's a book of... um, uh, of those whom he died to save. And, um, uh, and, and so a person's name could be removed as he rejects the Savior. But the saints at Sardis uh, have, um, have names that will not be blotted out. The, um, the Lord will confess the saint's name before his Father in heaven, there is a, um, a ceremony in the, in the wedding, okay? And uh, it's even more formalized in the military. Um, it's called a receiving line. And uh, the dignitary will stand with his wife, and there will be a line of people um, lined up to meet the dignitary and, and shake his hand. To help the dignitary with the thousands of names or hundreds of names that he's going to, uh, of people he's going to meet, he has um, what's called a line aide. He's, uh, he's an assistant. I don't know if they do this at weddings, but they do it in the military for these real formal ceremonies. Like, well, the, um, the line aide will ask the next person in line, what's your name? And, uh, then the line aide will whisper to the dignitary, uh, this is um, Mr. and Mrs. Angelo and Dorothy Costanzo. And so the dignitary goes, Mr. and Mrs. Uh, Costanzo, it's so great to meet you. I've uh, heard a little bit about your, uh, your work with the CHP and uh, we really appreciate your, your effort. So that's, in a nutshell, that's what happens in the receiving line at these uh, formal military cer- ceremonies. It's such a joy, such a privilege, such an honor to have the Lord Jesus standing before his Father and saying, Father, this is Matt. He's one of your redeemed ones. What a joy to be introduced to the Father. This is one of my redeemed. This is one who received me as his Lord and Savior. I'd like to introduce him to you, Father. And so, the Lord Jesus confesses his name, your name, before the Father and his angels. And finally, verse 6, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. If you've got an ear to hear this morning, hear what the Spirit says, not just to Ephesus, to Pergamus, to Thyatira, but to Sardis as well. It's um, applicable to any church in every century, even to Calvary Bible Chapel in 2023. What the Holy Spirit says is written in Scripture. We appreciate you who, week by week, come to hear the proclamation of God's word. Sometimes hard to understand, always profitable, always intended for our maturing and edification. What's our application this morning? Well, for we for us who know the Lord Jesus there's a lot to praise him for uh, this morning in this passage. He, uh, he's showing himself as, um, as a judge, as um, one who has all-seeing eyes. He's able to pierce through uh, any defenses that we think we have and to see what's right there at the center, right there at the heart, what, what's motivating you to do what you do. He's, he knows. And yet he loves us. He's able to see all that and yet to love us. Wow. He loves justice. He's not content to have um, hypocrites in his church. He hates injustice. And he's going to set things right, perfectly, perfectly. He desires to walk and commune with his redeemed ones. What a Savior we have in Jesus. Wow, he he wants to walk with you today. And the highlight of glory is going to be, he's going to walk with you there too. The application for those who don't yet know the Lord Jesus, maybe you have a reputation for religious activity. You're respected for your integrity. People, people regard you as, um, as a spiritual man or woman, but you don't have life. You're dead. The Lord Jesus says, Wake up. Wake up to your spiritual need. Choose Christ, choose life. For your precious, priceless soul, let's pray. There's so much to praise you for this morning, Lord. We thank you first of all for your word that um, you tell it like it is, and uh, you don't uh, hold any punches. But um, um, you're very, uh, very frank. Um, we we praise you, Lord that you're able to see us through and through, and, um, and yet your love for us pours forth as, um, as much as it ever could. We thank you, Lord, that you're a judge, and a very impartial judge, very righteous judge, and you love justice, and there will be justice in a coming day. We praise you, Lord. We thank you for your desire to walk with us. We're so frail, and so I'm so foolish sometimes. And yet, um, yet you hold me by my right hand and um, and pull me along. We ask you, Lord, for those who um, who are reputable. They have a name, uh, Christian follower of you, and yet they they don't have life. We pray that you might stir them this morning, wake them up to their reality, to their need, and um, that they uh, they might choose you. They might choose you over the defilement and the promises, empty promises of this world. We ask Lord Jesus in your name. Amen.